passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18 that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind a Raw. It's John Pollock, Wei Ting, with you on this Monday night. How are you, Wei? I'm doing okay, John, yeah. Um, feel good, healthy, you know, no no injuries <laughs> to speak of, so you guys. That's, that's awesome. That's great. <laughs> uh, how was your weekend? It was good, man. No, I, uh, I, I have no complaints. Um, uh, you know... Uh, of course, uh, we split up again on Saturday. You and WH Park um, did. Uh, yeah, it's like we it's like we got divorced, and uh, <laughs> we we gotta <laughs> have time with the kids. Oh well, I mean, uh, it it may it's it's more of a, a weekend separation, I suppose, and then we come back. You know, come back together on on a weekday, stronger than ever. But you and WH, of course, did a, a review of Power Struggle. And uh, I joined the BDE for our review of Full Gear. Uh, so people haven't really had a chance to hear your thoughts yet. I know you did a report on the website, but for people who uh, wanted to just maybe listen, what did you think of Full Gear? Yeah. C- can I say that I I kind of enjoy not like when I'm doing like these like the reports and stuff and like for, for, for all the shows we do, it's like we're taking notes the whole time and then we come and do this show and it's like instant opinion. And I kind of like having a day or two to think about the show. Do you ever sure. find that? Um, not or you're just so much. You're, you're automatic, ready, ready to go. Like sometimes I, uh, I don't know. I guess it, sometimes it's nice that you have kind of that uh, that time in between the show and then discussing it. I, I totally but there is get certainly it, yeah. a value to the immediacy as well. Yeah, for me, I, I um, I, I guess I don't feel that way as much because like I watch these shows, I talk about them, and then I kind of stop thinking about them altogether. So I don't really take the time to like process my thoughts on them after the fact. But uh, what was your experience like with this one? I I thought the card was great on Saturday. I the length did not bother me as much. If you had told me Saturday afternoon that I'm going to be in front of my screen for four and a half hours, I would say. That's a long show. And part of that was what we had said going up to this. Like, you look at the rundown, it's kind of what I expected going in. I did not expect this. Like, I expected the matches to get time. Uh, my biggest complaint would have been the length of the elite deletion. I just thought going 19 minutes that late in the show, you still had two big matches to come. And I, I don't know if it was just that presentation or just my overall opinion of the, the cinematic matches, but I kind of feel the novelty has been passed. And 
at this point, you're you're going to have to do something pretty out there to, I think, grab my attention. And I think also it's kind of taking people's time for granted that what can be done in 19 minutes, I think you could have chopped that in half and hit all the key notes of that particular match. And even even in the old, in the elite deletion, like it seemed like we had to get our comedy spots in, but they did try to focus more on just like a fight between Matt Hardy and Sammy Guevara with a resolution at the end of it. But I would say just the placement of that, it it dragged for me. But that would be maybe my strongest negative on the show because I thought the opener was phenomenal between Kenny Omega and Hangman Page. I thought that Cody and Darby Allen was those two just have a great chemistry together, and I like the kind of out-of-nowhere finish that certainly can give you several directions of where Cody goes after this. And certainly with Darby as the champion, I think that's like, like that's a fresh way to go. Um, so I, I really enjoyed that. Um, the tag match involving the Young Bucks and FTR, I got into that a lot. I, I thought that they came up with a lot of creative stuff th- throughout the match. Uh, I, I've seen, like, opinions like... Uh, some thinking it was like the greatest tag match in years and others kind of like middle of the road. I, I don't put this ahead of the revolution tag match, but it wasn't too far off for me. I thought that um, the two, like it was not a match where the time was any kind of factor for me. I thought it was a match that I was pretty compelled by from start to finish. I love the little subtlety of hangman page at the entrance in, in the post match as well. And the fact that the main event um, was a totally different style of presentation than any of the other matches. Um, to me, that show, Eddie Kingston was, to me, the star of the lead-up to this and was a huge presence all over the show. I think if we had normal in a normal environment, this Eddie Kingston match would have felt like a version of like Punk going into Money in the Bank. And I think that crowd would have been split, if not in favor of Eddie Kingston, if you had a sold-out arena. Because he... Man, it's really incredible when you go back and assess Eddie Kingston's year. And like that was the match I had the most buzz for that day going into the pay-per-view. Likewise, man. Uh, Absolutely. It's interesting to think about like what a crowd reaction would have added or how it would have affected the babyface heel dynamic of that particular match. Um, Any other standouts? What about uh, MJF and Jericho for you? I mean, I I thought the match was fine. I mean, I viewed it as like this is the start rather than the blow off to what their match was. So it kind of gets you there. Um, I don't know. Maybe you could argue like it went too late in the show, but it did have a significant stipulation attached to it. Like not not one of the strongest matches on the show, but it accomplished what you needed to to do sort of the fluke finish that gives Jericho sort of like. You know, MJF said he would do anything to get into the inner circle. He did. He kind of, like, took advantage of that. And, you know, it kind of just builds up for the, the eventual blow-up that hopefully they can uh, they can have a lengthy uh, teaming together before you do that feud and, and pay it off at some point next year. Um, yeah, I, I would say it was, like, not not among, like, the, the best matches of the show, but served its purpose. Very cool. Uh, How about you and Power Struggle? I caught the final two matches, and, um, you know, I was definitely curious to see how Evil versus Naito might differ from their previous matches, and I don't think it differed at all. I thought it was the same type of match that we saw uh, the first two times when it went over 30. Um, 
just I would say a very slow beginning and then picking up the pace, some cheating at the end. Um, I didn't miss a thing. I mean, I guess Jay White was uh, introduced into into the end of this one, but like I I by the end of it, I didn't really care for it. Uh, and you know, the biggest talk coming out of the show, of course, is Jay White winning the G1 briefcase from Kota Ibushi, setting up uh, the uh, two nights at Wrestle Kingdom, the two different main events that they would go on to announce the day after. Yeah, so for Wrestle Kingdom, we have night one will be Tetsuya Naito against Kota Ibushi, where Naito challenged Ibushi even though he had lost the briefcase. They're also going to do Kazuchika Okada and Will Ospreay on the first night, and the second night will be Jay White challenging the winner of Naito Ibushi. And I guess this has uh, this has gotten a lot of criticism from, from people about how they split up the main events for night one and night two. Um, I, I can get people's criticism. I also understand why they're doing it this way. Uh, what do you think about how things have been laid out for the two main events? You know, like the way everything's unfolded, I really have to imagine that like it wasn't their first choice to do two nights at Russell Kingdom this year. This year. And perhaps it was just after the pandemic that this was planned. That's just my speculation because I don't think this type of storytelling, like mm, I think people are right to criticize it because I, I, I don't feel like it's, it's as like, you know, airtight as like, you know, um, I think new Japan's booking decisions in the past. And I feel like much of it is, is done out of necessity because they have two nights suddenly to fill. Uh, and, and, you know, given that requirement, I feel like they did a, as good of a job as they could to justify, um, you know, <laughs> Kota Ibushi losing the briefcase, yet still being able to challenge Tetsuya Naito for the belt on January 4th because Naito really wants the match because Jay White also cheated for the briefcase, you know. Um, it's not the most satisfying explanation, I think, from a sports, you know, a booking decision because... You know, like whoever wins the G1 briefcase, it really does in a way negate the G1. But at the same time, you're kind of tied up because you, you, you've you gone and decided to put your two belts together into a double championship. Um, and doesn't seem like they have too many plans of like separating those belts in the meantime. And you have two nights to fill. So um, given the circumstances, I think they did a decent job of explaining the reason for it. But I also think people are, are right to criticize it. I, I think that... Number one, when they did the press conference on the weekend, to me, the the key takeaway I took from that was where they announced that since July 11th, July 11th, they have sold 72,706 tickets. So in four months, it took them that amount of time to sell the amount of tickets that roughly they sold in two nights last year at Wrestle Kingdom. Like doing back-to-back nights at last January greatly helped them this year given where things went so i think like there is a certain i i would say necessity to get as many people as you can for these two nights where you're going to be at half capacity and i thought that the way they laid this out i mean it's this is not going to be i think angle of the year but they do still leave jay white with the briefcase there is an advantage to the briefcase holder getting the easier path that he gets, he gets the the injured party on the, on the second night. Uh, I think this is all built around Kota Bushi for the second night, but I think that you have to look at the the business side of this. That we're running two nights. How do we get two title matches out of this? It's not going to be the most satisfying, but I 
I'm not on that uh, on that ledge either, stating like this is the destruction of the G1 and this is going to be a giant failure. I don't believe that to be true, uh, but I see the criticism. Um, yeah, but we'll see. U- ultimately, it's going to be determined if this is something where does this encourage people to buy tickets or or not? Um, how much is the pandemic going to have on people's reluctance to go buy tickets? Like this is going to be a tough back to back series of nights to draw, given that no one's flying to Japan to watch this show, um, and this is you know not going to be um, the most star studded Tokyo Dome. I think it's pretty evident. I don't think we're getting any special attractions to the Tokyo Dome this year. If they do, it's going to be quite the surprise on my part if we see anyone else. It's sort of we're working with our roster that is available to us now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, we, sh- we shall see if they have any anybody kind of like on, up, up their sleeve. But like it's hard for me to think about any sort of international travelers that aren't already there. They did recently announce the returns of uh, the Tongans. So they'll be they'll be around. But it looks, seems to be, you know, the... The spectacle this year is just a full New Japan roster for the first time in several months. Uh, for the World Tag League, they announced all the teams today with Finn Juice, the tag champions, Taichi and Zack Sabre Jr., the return of the Gorillas of Destiny, Hiroshi Tanahashi and the returning Toa Hanare, Hiroki Goto and Yoshihashi, Tomohiro Ishii and Toriyano, Shingo Takagi with Sonata, Evil and Yujiro Bad Luck Fale returning with Chase Owens, and then the Great Okan with a mystery partner that I will assume is going to be Jeff Cobb. It's my assumption, too. Uh, what, what do you think about this uh, this tag league lineup? We did not get our, our young Lions coming out of the G1 making uh, any appearances in here. Um, it's a tag league. It's fine. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, part of the appeal is that you get to see certain faces that didn't make their way uh, in, into the G1 or any New Japan cards yet this year. Uh, but, it, you know, it, amongst pre- previous years, it really feels like a bit of a standard um, tag league. Um, but standard feels a bit more special this year because we haven't even had that for much of it. No, um, oh, you know, some interesting omissions uh, from this. Like, you're not you're not having... You know, any any of the big names that were announced already for Wrestle Kingdom, which is, you know, that is tradition that once you're announced for a big match, it doesn't make much sense to be in the tag league where you're not going to be able to get that title shot at the end. But nonetheless, it's a it's a tour with without Nokata, without Nospray, uh, without Nabushi, uh, without Kenta as well. So um, you do have some omissions here, even though they are bringing back some some fresh faces that we haven't seen for most of the year. SmackDown from last Friday did 2,315,000 viewers, a 0.7 in the 18 to 49 demo, their highest viewership since September 11th and second highest since April 10th. And this was going against uh, all of the election coverage on Friday night that dominated cable. Um, And the fact that SmackDown on among network programming, they were number one in 18 to 49s and 18 to 34s and were tied for first. Uh, among those 25 to 54, I thought this was a really impressive SmackDown number given what they were up against. And this wasn't just maintaining. This was one of their better numbers during the pandemic. I was really surprised too. And I, I, I have to, you know, wonder what the reason is Were people just perhaps at that point sick of all the wall to wall news coverage that, you know, was dominating, not just TV, but social media. Um, 
were people just looking for a break? I know there were certainly times where I was. I mean, I was pretty much glued to all those cable news networks, but at the same time, like, kind of looking forward to, like, just taking my mind off of it. Um, and SmackDown definitely allowed me to do that. Well, it, when we saw through, through the overnights, like, the first hour was higher than the than the second. And I, and I think the key was was Sasha and Bailey. I think that was that was the only thing advertised all week. And given that that took up a significant chunk of the first hour, I think that... That deserves uh, at least a significant amount of the credit this week. Sure. So very strong from SmackDown. That same night, the the countdown show for Full Gear did uh, two hundred forty five thousand viewers, a point zero nine in the demo. So one of the um, uh, definitely on the on the lower end of what these countdown shows have done in the past. Uh, but was a good countdown show, I thought. Um, mm-hmm. You know, hitting on the main stories, and again, I think Eddie Kingston has just been unbelievable in the in the whole build-up to that main event i think if there is any you know if this uh pay-per-view comes back and it is above projections i think like a lot of that credit goes to these promos from john moxley and eddie kingston and especially that go-home segment yeah do you um do you see a babyface turn i think you have to get there at some point um i think it's inevitable if I would I would try and hold it off as long as you can, but uh, maybe you just go for the turn now. Because I mean, you watch being the elite today; he's already pretty much there. Yeah, certainly coming off of the match. I mean, I really feel like it's you go you can go to that direction right now. Um, I don't think anybody really expected it to be this soon, but I think he just he became. Like they they just went a path with story of for this Moxley program that just made him so relatable that I really do feel like now is the time because he can end up being a pretty hot baby face. Um, can I just quickly go through uh, being the elite from today? Sure. Did you get to see any of it or no? I saw an early most of it. I saw, but uh, yeah, please go through all of it. Well, some of the highlights included uh, before the tag match, Nick telling Matt that this stipulation. What a stupid idea to put our chances at the tag titles on the line here that will never challenge for them again. Matt has a backup plan and he pulls out his phone and he's got a design for the TNT tag titles. And I, I thought this was hilarious. Very funny. Yes. Very good. Uh, we had Alex Reynolds and John Silver trying to recruit Michael Nakazawa. Then Matt Jackson went through his legitimate knee injury. He said that he injured the knee when he delivered that elbow off the the tunnel several months ago in the match with the blade and the butcher. And he has a partially torn MCL and a thinning of the ACL. And the ACL injury is an old injury that he doesn't even know when he got, it could be as far back as 2008, but the ACL he said is not bothering me. The MCL is improving and he's been rehabbing it and taping the knee up, but said he would be okay for the tag match on Saturday. Uh, then we had a segment with uh, Brandon Cutler, who has just won his first match and therefore was looking for the pay window. And Kazarian had to inform him that it's not a real fucking thing and just cut a big promo on Brandon Cutler. That was rather entertaining. Uh, a big culmination beyond the world title eliminator tournament. We had the culmination of the Gator golf tournament where Trent won the BTE championship. Congratulations. Huge, huge win. Uh, They showed Shaquille O'Neal backstage after the Young Bucks uh, title win. And then as 
Kenny Omega and SCU brought the Bucks. They were doing a whole uh, championship celebration with champagne in the room as Hangman Page just lurked outside, but then walked away. Uh, it was very, very sad. We went into the locker room with Eddie Kingston, who's reflecting on the loss. And he said that John Moxley told him afterwards, it's over. And Eddie said, it's never over. I sold my soul to the devil. I'll be back on Wednesday because I don't have anything else but professional wrestling. And this isn't a character. One day I will be world champion. This guy's the greatest. Awesome. So happy for him. I mean, uh, very deserving. Look, look, the talent speaks for itself. If there's like a Moneyball version in professional wrestling, whatever they signed this guy for versus the value that he provided for what was signed, it has greatly exceeded what the expectations were. Well, I mean, I don't know what sort of numbers you get for like AEW pay-per-views these days, what you can track down, but I'd be really curious to know this one. You know, a show, obviously not just... Not just because of Eddie Kingston versus John Moxley, uh, you know you have FTR and, and the Bucks there, which is a big match. Hangman versus Omega, but I mean at the top is Eddie Kingston versus John Moxley. So whatever number the show does, uh, if it's good or if it's bad, I think some of it you definitely have to look at Eddie Kingston's work. And the final scene saw the Dark Order trying to cheer up John Silver after his loss to Hangman Page, and they cheer him up by starting a "fuck Hangman" chant. And Silver gets right into this. And then Hangman walks into the room. He's been drinking, pours himself another drink, and he takes part in the chant. They're all chanting, fuck Hangman, with Paige in the middle of it. And then as he goes to leave the room, Evil Uno sees the opening. This guy's drunk. This is our chance to recruit him. So Evil Uno says, let's not fuck this up. They go after Hangman. And the Dark Order is left thinking... This hangman guy isn't so bad. And that was being the elite, the post full gear edition of the show. Well, very interesting. Uh, a few other notes before we uh, move on to raw. Um, we have some changes to some cards coming up for UFC this Saturday. It was supposed to be Islam uh, Makachev taking on Rafael Dos Anjos in the main event at lightweight. And Makachev is off the card after he came down with staff infection. So stepping in, on five days' notice is Paul Felder, who apparently has been training for a triathlon, so it's not like he's out of shape or anything. He is coming in. He's going to make 155, and it's still going to be a five-round fight on Saturday, which is insanity what they are putting this guy through. But, hey, he agreed to the fight. Uh, so Paul Felder will step in to fight uh, RDA in uh, Dos Anjos' return to lightweight after fighting the who's who at welterweight for the last couple of years. Also is the loss of a championship fight next month as Amanda Nunez is out of her fight with Megan Anderson. This is reported by ESPN. And Megan Anderson commented stating that they're going to reschedule the fight for early 2021. So that card, UFC 256, was supposed to have two title fights. And it looks like, at least for now, just has the uh, Piotr Jan, Aljamain Sterling, bantamweight title fight. And the final note, uh, just looking to Wednesday night on NXT... It's Raquel Gonzalez against Zia Lee. As Zia Lee, uh, we found out the letters are from her parents. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the, this this is going to, uh, what, what a win will provide to her parents, other than we know that back home, they are getting NXT Weekly. 
Oh, is that right? Is it airing in China right now? Well, I get, they have the I get, network. They could be network subscribers. Yeah, uh, Johnny Gargano will take on a mystery man for the North American title. And then Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch defend the tag titles against Breezango. Over on AEW, it's the bunkhouse match with Dustin and QT Marshall against the Butcher and the Blade. A rematch between Phoenix and Penta. Ty Conti against Red Velvet. Cody Rhodes will speak. And MJF is inducted into the inner circle. So typically these post-pay-per-view dynamites are, uh, you know, it starts getting the ball rolling for all the next set of stories. And I would imagine probably a big show from AEW coming off their pay-per-view, which these shows usually are for them. Yeah, I, th- I would think so too. Um, not much in the way of like, you know, uh, incredible match to look forward to, but uh, fallout is always interesting too. Phoenix and Penta should be pretty good. Yeah. Hopefully no injuries in this one. And they mm-hmm. could probably have a, pardon the pun, dynamite match. So there you have it. Um, and AEW's got their game announcement on Tuesday night. So mm-hmm. that'll probably be very intriguing uh, as they've been talking about this for quite a while. So that's happening on Tuesday night. Oh, and uh, Tony Chimmel has been let go by WWE along with uh, Derek Castleman, who was the a director of venue merchandise and remote operations to a long time employees with the company. And unfortunate that this is, um, you know, more, more cuts from WWE. Uh, this was reported by PW insider on Monday. I mean, Chimmel, like he's been there since 89, 31 years. Yeah. Uh, but I guess he was uh, also recently doing ring crew stuff. Is that right? I mean, he's been involved in Ring Crew for a while, but I mean, he had largely just become the the announcer for like house shows and such and was not being used uh, on TV. So, I mean, you can see like this is a live event driven, uh, you know, series of cuts with these two. But unfortunate nonetheless um, that you have uh, cuts as the uh, as the WWE is uh, getting through 2020. As we all are. Yeah. On to Raw. As we inch towards the Survivor Series. Hey, what about the schedule? Oh, the schedule. Well, wait. I'm on postwrestling.com, and I'm looking at former president Donald Trump and president-elect Joe Biden. What could this possibly mean for post-listeners? Oh, John, you threw up the signal, and we received a message from the Satellite of Hate. It is the return of Review America with our friends... To the South, Brian, Mann, and Nate Milton, they are back to uh, review this entire crazy election cycle and the results of it and, you know, the state of the the country going forward. So uh, I've already listened to most of this. Um, I, I was tremendously entertained and, and really informed, I think, uh, by, by their insight. And um, I, 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 it's always great to hear those two back together. Oh, th- um a gr- great to hear these two voices in my ears uh, together uh, once again. Uh, some great discussion on the whole election, uh, the fallout from it, and I guess we, we cannot call him former president yet. He's still got several months left uh, with Donald Trump as he uh, come, comes to grips with the conclusion of what happened last Tuesday. But uh, Brian and Nate will give you what the conclusion was. Yep, that is available right now on the Post Wrestling feed. And if you sub- still subscribe to the Keep It 2000 feed, that'll be available uh, probably by this time, sometime in the morning for most of you listening to it. 
And on Tuesday, Andrew Thompson is going to have an interview with Matt Taven from Ring of Honor. So that will be up on the site. Tuesday night, we've got Rewind Away number 74, which I have no idea why. But when I tweeted out the schedule today, I said it would be ECW Anarchy Rules. I don't know why I was thinking of that. Uh, It's actually (laughs) Impact from January 4th, 2010, along with Raw that night featuring Bret Hart's return. We are going to review TNA's move to Monday night on January 4th, going three hours with the debut of a Rolodex of names, headlined by Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, Jeff Hardy, and of course, the Nasty Boys. Oh, you have to have the Nasty Boys. Yeah, so we'll talk about that episode in depth, and then we'll also talk about Bret Hart's appearances on Raw that very same night, his return to Raw since 1997, where he had in-ring segments with Shawn Michaels, Vince McMahon, most of these segments you can find uh, not just on the network, but you could probably find on YouTube as well. In fact, the entire episode of Impact you can find directly on TNA's own or Impact's own YouTube channel. So uh, all of that is linked up there right now for on the feedback thread for our cafe patrons. Uh, but listen to us talk about it tomorrow on Rewind Away. Yes, uh, we'll, we'll dive into that entire time period, the circumstances behind Impact going to three hours and all of the fallout of, you know, a period that is certainly... When you, when you look at it, I mean, the most watched episode of Impact was that night on January 4th, 2010. Uh, later this week, we have all of our regular shows, Rewind to Dynamite, up next. The British Wrestling Experience will be back Thursday with uh, guest Ian Hamilton joining Benno and Martin. And then Way and I are live Friday night with Rewind to SmackDown for all of our cafe members at 10.15 p.m. Eastern Time, where, man, the, the phone lines just light up after our SmackDown review. Uh, always it's it's always a party on zoom and they're always a lot of fun so we encourage all patrons to join us yes uh where sometimes you even get a call from brandon from new jersey sometimes sometimes he's very selective now you know Mm -hmm. he uh he picks his his spots okay postwrestling.com is where you can uh, go view the schedule all the latest news into raw started off with the miz and john morrison Nothing says sit back for the next three hours than these two walking down slowly down that ramp towards the ring. They are going to team up with Randy Orton tonight against Drew McIntyre and the New Day. Uh, Miz plugs the Miz and Misses, which is back this Thursday. Uh, we won't be reviewing that. Uh, and a bonus episode airing after Raw tonight. More Miz and Misses than you could possibly handle. Because after three hours of Raw, I want another half hour. That's what I want on the USA Network. It kind of makes sense in hindsight why they why he moved back to Raw. I mean, besides the fact that he changes brands every show or every year. Yeah, I mean they they've they kind of left him on SmackDown for the last season, so I guess they thought, hey, maybe maybe this makes more sense. He can plug the show coming coming on our network as opposed to an opposing one. And doesn't Total Deep, uh Bella's return this week? Is it this week? It's back. Uh, like that. Like yeah, he, it's it. Thursday? It's coming up. Yeah, it's the the, the twins season. Yeah. Uh, well, not well, twins, but you know what I mean. Double babies. That's right, yes. So uh, let me just double check what day. November 12th, yeah. Thursday. Do you know what today is? The 9th. It's the 9th. It is the 23rd anniversary of the night Steve Austin regained the Intercontinental title at the Survivor Series at the Bell Center in Montreal. Uh, oh, okay. Yes, of course. Yes, that, that, 
that great title event. change at Survivor Series. Of course, yeah, the most notable thing to come out of uh, that event. That yeah, that yeah, yes. Kane against McFoley. <laughs> yeah, a lot, lot went down that night. Randy Orton interrupts Miz and Morrison, and he's all paranoid. He thinks this is a setup by the Miz. He remembers the Miz being thrown out of the locker room back in the day, and Orton didn't want him back in. Because if there's anyone that was really going to be policing erratic behavior during that time period, it's Randy Orton. The conscience of the (laughs) WWE locker room in the mid-2000s. Then, John Morrison, you took your ball... And went to wrestle in the minor leagues. Boy, the minor leagues. They love that. <laughs> Poor Lucha Underground. Yeah. Impact. Yeah. And Morrison just kind of stood there. So he challenges the Miz to try and take his title. Miz informs him tonight could be a big night for all of us. If we win, we might get a tag title match with the New Day. The New Day come out. They laugh at them. And then... Kingston enters the ring, and Orton just RKO's him. Drew runs out to help, and Miz hits Drew in the back with the briefcase, and they throw Drew into an RKO so the heels all work together. But Drew McIntyre is smiling by the end of this segment, so we can't have him look too vulnerable here. But that is our six-man tag coming up next week. You know, I know about Next week, third hour. Seems like the same amount of time in between. You know, like, I know it's it, we're more than a year removed from Kofi Mania, and he, at this point, I mean, it doesn't even deserve to really be said about, like, how firm he is in, like, the mid-card of a tag team right now, but um, I still hated seeing him just, like, you know, goofing around here, walking into the ring, and just getting RKO'd, you know, from the guy he actually beat, um, defended the title against, so... I don't know. I hated him looking weak. I think Woods should have taken it if anybody was going to take it. But beyond that, it was like a somewhat interesting dynamic that they have now between Miz and Orton where you kind of have two heels, but one of them is obviously a lot more comedic than the other. The comedic heel is trying to convince the serious heel to work with him, even though, of course, with the Money in the Bank briefcase, he wants his title. So uh, they continue to play with that dynamic. I don't know if there's anybody really to cheer for in that um, whole mix, but it, it's a relationship I, that I guess we'll see develop. So every week, me and Wei, we really enjoy when we're reviewing SmackDown is we we look at what's what's in the promo for Raw. And, you know, this past SmackDown, when I left that show, I was so excited to see Drew McIntyre on the Moment of Bliss because it was the only thing promoted during that promo on uh, on SmackDown. Wow. Where was the mo- we didn't even get a moment. We didn't even get a second of bliss on Monday night with Drew McIntyre. Oh man, I feel bad for any of these people that have to create these like promos for Raw coming up because um they probably know that things will be very likely to get changed anyway. So why not just make it generic, you know? Why do They you- should have fun with it. Like <laughs> chaos has overtaken the WWE. Monday night, what will happen? We don't know, but we hope you care. Really, it's about as much as you can do these days. Because any, even when you think you have a uh, a rundown, you really don't. So, what's the point? Elias had a vision that he would win this upcoming qualifying match, and he goes to play Amen, and he's ready for the interruption, but it doesn't happen. And he gets going, he starts playing, and then Jeff Hardy's music interrupts him, and Elias is just flabbergasted. Yeah. 
Um, he needs to make friends with like the the audio engineer. Be like, listen, I want you to not play anything, okay? Because I know Jeff's not playing this over the loudspeakers. It's you. Uh, you would assume he he would be friends with them. I mean, the guy probably has to set up the guitar rig and everything. But um, yeah, I don't know. So it was a three way match with Elias, Jeff Hardy, and Riddle. Yeah, just Riddle. Mm-hmm. And to their credit, I don't think anyone screwed up and called him Matt during the commentary. I'm sure it was very much uh, drilled into their heads. Don't call him Matt. AJ's watching in the back with Jordan. Hardy gets sent into the post, and they talk about Jeff Hardy's uh, history being part of traditional Survivor Series matches dating all the way back to 1999. That's ridiculous. Wow. Like, Like, could you imagine Jeff Hardy in a qualifying match on an episode of Raw in 1999, and he's taking on... Goddamn superstar Billy Graham, who's been uh, a top guy since 1978. Could you, <laughs> could you imagine that and be like, oh, you know, this and, and and superstar Billy Graham is still like are you like kind of presented as like this youthful baby face. That's really hard to predict. But are there no examples of like somebody from 1978 who went on to continue to wrestle in 1999? Uh, not on Raw every week. Maybe not on Raw. Yeah, not Nitro, though. Like, you had guys that, yeah, were competing in 1978, but they weren't, like, one of your pushed babyface acts on Raw 21 years later. But you did have stars from the 80s that would go on to compete in the mid-2000s. Uh, you would. You would have some. But they also, they were not the... I mean, they would go through that period where they were definitely leaning on older talent, but I would say if you were to look at the roster today, I would say we probably have our most full-time over 40 roster members in WWE than at any point before. Well, you know, medicine's getting a lot better these days, John. Life expectancy is increasing. Um, okay. People are just getting healthier, perhaps. That that could be the key to everything. Yeah. Um, so the match continues here. There was a drift away hit to Hardy. Uh, which he is not doing at this age. Uh, Riddle broke it up with the Broton, and then the bro Derek got stopped by Jeff, and Jeff hit a poetry in motion off of Riddle's back. Hardy and Riddle started throwing strikes, and this was really off. There was a point where Riddle just took a back bump without even being hit. Um, it just looked all over the place. Yeah, it was really awkward. It felt mistimed and, and poorly coordinated. And I think we've seen Riddle had plenty of these striking exchanges, so I I might just have to kind of really chalk it up to perhaps Jeff Hardy not wrestling this type of usual style, although I'm sure we've seen Jeff Hardy do this type of thing too. So there was just a bit of miscommunication, and it looked a, a bit awkward. Elias took out Hardy with a flying knee, and then Elias got caught in the corner and hit with the bro Derek as Riddle pinned Elias in 851, so Riddle would join AJ, Keith Lee, Braun Strowman, and Sheamus, with all of them uh, receiving their nicknames later on tonight. The nicknames, yes, of course. thought the match was pretty average. Um, I think the intent was to put the spotlight on Riddle, and by the end of the night, I think they would have ach- would achieved that. As a match itself, I I didn't think anybody particularly looked stand out here. Adam Pierce is shaking hands with AJ, but we don't know what they have agreed on, but we would learn that later on. 
Charlie says, what's that all about? And AJ just says, we're friends. And they needed Riddle as that final piece for the team. Sheamus comes in and he's pissed about Riddle being on the team. He says he's, a, he's an obnoxious punk. And we all know AJ hates punks. AJ calls for a team meeting. Sheamus says, you are not my captain. Braun walks in. He says AJ isn't his captain. And we go to break. I guess we can assume that Keith Lee thinks the same thing. Come back. Retribution. They have got a new logo and merchandise. Yeah, it's in like the form of an American flag, but with like a, an R instead of um, the stars. Is that right? Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Mustafa Ali says that Ricochet is a good man and brave, but he's still a damn fool. One man can't change everything. It's easy to feel alone when you're manipulated and misguided. Which Reckoning then refers to Asuka as pink, green-haired trash. And then Ali goes over all of the names of these uh, teammates. And they will not rest until we shut you down. Yeah, so um, teasing Mia Yim versus Asuka. Um, reckoning. Sorry, I'm sorry. Asuka. Reckoning and, and Asuka. And, and I, the promo itself, I, I guess I just took it to be a bit more of an introduction, reintroduction type of promo after these guys completely failed against the Hurt Business. So now they're setting their sights on somebody far lower, which uh, would be Ricochet, I guess. Yeah, yeah. This is, uh, <laughs> you know, come on. It was a, it was a learning experience. We were not ready <laughs> to, you know, it's like uh, adjusting like the difficulty level on a video game it's like okay i, I try i tried you know I tried advanced i was not ready a medium and i'm not even there yet <laughs> we're gonna go to beginner we're ricochet we're like what's more beginner than that in this era of raw uh, so yeah here you go and and ali having to with a straight face say slapjack because we got a close-up of this goof dude every time <laughs> every time they got to a close-up of slapjack in this <laughs> mask that, that like looks like it's made out of like a doll, doily. Slapjack is definitely the worst. Can we agree on? Oh, the, of the five, dude, he's the worst. Of course, of course. I mean, he should be the joke, but yet it's like... Anyway. um, Listen, I, I thought, like, Ali would really shine in this role. Like, when he was announced as a leader, I'm like, man, he, this whole thing's gonna turn around. I'm excited about Retribution now. But I have to say, even in the promo department, none of these have really, like caught my attention very much that there's just been very little substance in all these yeah he revealed himself as a hacker that was kind of neat tying all that together but beyond that they haven't really given much good reason um beyond just being neglected i just like i there's not enough meat there right now on this it still feels like just like a very superficial you know group of rebellion who i don't know don't really have that much um depth to, to any of them so, and certainly the booking hasn't helped. The only saving grace would have been if this group would have been Vince McMahon's tool to express his commentary on the state of the, of U.S. politics and retribution would be the voices, Vince's perceived voices of the Democratic Party. Uh, sure, yeah. I mean, but even then, like, how far could you uh, really go? Um, they're not. They're not touching that. They're not. They're not dancing around it. They are not 
going anywhere near there. If ever, if ever there were two weeks where you would see an inkling of a, of a political message, it would have been last Monday or this Monday. And there is nothing. They are not going anywhere near there. Yeah, I think that they're probably better off for it. But here's a question. Okay, six months from now, with the Democratic Party established with the Biden administration, it's does politics become less of a hot button issue? And Vince McMahon may feel that maybe maybe we can go a little political on our show um, once we are you know six months removed from Trump leaving office. I think it depends on the issue, but I still feel like things will be just as divisive as they are now. Um, so in my opinion, they, they probably wouldn't. I, I, I do feel, though, like maybe we should um, you know, bring up like the idea. Uh, I, I've at least heard it more, discussed more than once, the idea of Donald Trump eventually, when, whenever he you know, leaves politics permanently, uh, whether or not we could see him eventually pop back into the WWE for an appearance. Can you see that? Um. It it would depend. Like if he's if he's leaving and his idea is you know launching some giant you know uh, cable competitor to Fox News and he has a reason to um, want to promote something. I mean, it's always possible, but I mean, Donald Trump is going to have a big presence. I think beyond, beyond uh, you know his days in office. Um, but sure, like it's I. I don't think it's something WWE would turn down if he wanted to, but uh, you know this that might not be his priority either of uh, popping up on Raw. Yeah, let's hope not. Drew Gulak popped up though with the Hurt business, and he wants to go over a uh, phase two for the Hurt business, which could include U.S. champion Lashley, the future tag champions Benjamin and Alexander. And himself, the 24-7 champion, he wants to join the Hurt Business. And he was playing the role of Peter Avalon, trying to join the inner circle. And MVP said that they are not accepting applications, rips off his clip-on tie, and Gulak defends the clip-on choice because it's tactical for the title he has to defend. And they beat the shit out of Gulak and left the tie on top of his chest which I swear I thought they were going to count and the tie would win the title. Oh, what do you think this is, man? DDT? Come on. There's some there's some logic to this 24-7 division. Instead, um, R-Truth was lurking and pinned Drew Gulak for our first of uh, 10,000 title switches on the show. Yeah, yeah. Nobody in, in the Hurt Business even thought about wanting to get that belt. Um, That's it. No. Nobody really Can they cares. play Gator Golf? I think Gator Golf would be more entertaining than this. So, yeah, really anything would. Shayna Baszler versus Lana had Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke on commentary. They want to they want to be the glue that brings the women's team together because they are partners that are not getting along. <laughs> Lana jumps and gets thrown off Baszler's back. She stomps Lana's elbow, head kick, gut wrench, knee to the face, and then the Kirafuda clutch. And Lana submits in a minute fifty three. Um, you know, I'm with I'm with Nia and Shayna by the end of this. Like this is such a weak link on our team. I I, I would want to destroy this woman so that we need we need to get a replacement. I think it's a really like it's a story to me that's really not working at all because the intent is to feel sympathy for Lana and I just I feel don't. none. Absolutely none. I mean, number one. She's getting one, blown out in completely legal fashion in a sanctioned pro wrestling match. She's getting dominated. 
I don't watch a, a fight where it's a it's a 10-7 round and I say, oh, God, I just hope this person comes back. No, I'm a, I'm watching someone just show utter dominance here. Like, that's that's great to watch. Well, not just that, but, I mean, it's Lana here who has been a lifelong heel as for as long as she's been on TV in this company. And um, the transition from her being a heel to this, this role, really, ha- there's been none. She went from teaming up with Natalia, being a straight-up heel, to winning that. Uh, uh, what is it? Battle Royal in in a very heelish way, sneaking in at the last second, and then just like carried right into this Nia Jax thing, where they think that her getting beaten up every single week is going to make us feel bad for her. I mean, number one, these table spots—they're not like <laughs> they're comedic spots. They end up baby facing Nia way more than Lana. So, I mean, it's almost like you know, like when Kane, whenever Kane tombstones Pete Rose. It's 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 as if they expect us to feel sympathy for Pete Rose uh, anytime Kane does that, and that's just it, it, I just don't get it at all. I really don't. And, get and it those spots, thing. like they had the right dynamic there. Like those those spots, babyface Kane, where they just want to see you kill Pete Rose, like that. They had that. Like the logic was perfectly sound there for what they were aiming for and what you got out of it. There's zero sympathy for Pete Rose. Yeah, yeah, and and they're trying the same tactic, but wanting you to have the, a different, rea- the opposite reaction here with Lana. So Nia clears the desk, but Mandy and Dana stop Nia from putting her through the desk because they all have to work together. Backstage, Rose and Brooke are with Lana. Lana thanks them, and Dana says, "Quote: We totally saved your butts, Lana. Multiple butts." Sure. Yeah. Um, but even Mandy and and Dana, like, I, they're like, like, you're the weak link. We're doing this for the, for our team because you're awful. Like you're not good at this. They're kind of mean, aren't they? Well, Lana is just left looking like she's about to pout and yeah, she just wishes she could be on Twitch, but she can't. AJ and Jordan bring out the whole men's team. And AJ says we were missing a piece of the puzzle, and now we have it in Riddle. Lee tells AJ, I owe you a receipt for last week. Seamus calls Lee a hypocrite. And they're all arguing when the voice of reason says, bros, bros, bros. Riddle has names for all of the team. We have the skipper, AJ. Braun, Mongoose. Keith Lee is Bro Lee. And Seamus is Fireface. And Seamus gets upset thinking this is a joke about his hair. But Riddle says, this is not a ginger joke. Your face looks like fire because it gets red when you get mad. Ha ha ha. He's kind of got a point. Dude, if you want to see growing men look more uncomfortable, you could not find a segment that better displays that on that awkwardness than this, where they all had to laugh and it gets worse. What does that make you riddle dopey? And yes, that is riddles nickname dopey. Part of the uh, job description for like uh, a WWE writer in 2020, like really seems to be how... make a 75 year old man giggle. Yeah. How are, good are you at making 
names up. Um, and I think we, you know, if you think Slapjack was like bottom of the barrel, I think you had plenty of other options here. The mongoose. Sure. Yeah. Bro Lee. Mm -hmm. And like these, these grown men have to sell for it too. Like you have Keith Lee, like laugh, you know, (laughs) pretending that this stuff was, was actually funny. Um, and to somebody, it's funny. Somebody out there, like, probably thought this was great material. Ah! Needed a good laugh this week. AJ tells them all to get serious, and he goes through the SmackDown team members and reiterates that he's the team captain, they all get pissed, and AJ says that he's worked it out with Adam Pearce for the four teammates to have a tag match. Sheamus and Braun against Riddle and Keith Lee. I'm sorry, Fireface and Mongoose against Dopey and Bro Lee with the skipper as the guest referee. That's right. Yeah. Um, you know, I know like the ongoing joke is that every tag team in the WWE can't get along. But um, I guess if you're going to do a Survivor Series team where you have heels and baby faces on the same side, you're kind of stuck. It's kind of the only story you can tell. So I, I do feel like AJ is amusing to watch with with him being cast as the guy in the middle trying to hold it all together. He's just he's just a funny performer, no matter what he's doing. Um, this is also a chance for them to showcase Matt Riddle's amazing personality. Um, bros, bros, <laughs> bros. Uh, yeah, again, somebody thought this was good. Um yeah, the problem I think I have with just like this entire show, and I'm sorry if I'm not sounding all, all enthusiastic about this episode of Raw, but everybody on this show is just presented as just a simple one-dimensional character. There's zero comparison between the depth of character of any of these Raw characters versus what we have with Roman Reigns and Jey Uso, for instance. To me, like they've shown that on a main roster program, they've set the bar at that level where you could tell a more grown-up you know, um, complex emotional story. And then to, to go over on raw where everybody is just all of a sudden a cartoon character or just a caricature of like, you know, some archetype that they're supposed to be. I, nothing on this show really was all that inspiring for me. So the tag match styles is the ref. He's got a C on his referee shirt and Seamus has the advantage on riddle. He's yelling at AJ Riddle then misses and hits AJ with a knee. He can't count when Sheamus goes for the roll-up, so Sheamus is pissed off at AJ. Riddle misses again, and he head kicks AJ. And then Braun and Lee sandwich AJ as Jordan gets up to enter the ring. We're teasing physicality with Jordan, and we cut to commercial. And we come back, and Jordan's back on the floor. They've just gotten, like, really lazy with these, you know? Um... Like, could you could you imagine being the director? And this is the moment you yell, "Cut!" Like, think about this: if if this were real, if this were real, you have to hit a commercial break. Would this be the moment? Not at all. I mean, it would it would be one thing if like you're trying to set up a cliffhanger. You know, what's Jordan gonna do? To stay tuned to find out. Like, the- just cut to Jordan, and he's got this mad look on his face on the floor. Okay, we go to break. But he's, uh, he's, like, right about to do something. What if he wound up for a punch? Cut! Well, that's what they do. Yeah, I don't know what the thinking is. I don't know what the logic is. It's that... Uh, I think the idea is that, oh, there's a... They, uh, we need a break in action. 
And how do you cause a break in action? Sometimes you do it off of a guy doing a dive to the floor. Other times it's uh, when somebody decides to walk out. Other times it's when a guy decides to walk into the ring and is about to punch one of the members of the of the match. They've really like, I don't get the logic there at the end, you know? Like, that's not a break in action. That is action. If so, anything, you would think that this would be somewhat of what they would be doing on, on Dynamite would be pushing the fact that you can watch during the break that, hey, action continues through the break. On Raw, I think it just upsets you because if anything's going to happen, I'm going to miss it. Yeah. The problem is, though, like, <laughs> you know nothing happens. You know, they have no intent of, like, Jordan ever doing anything, or at least not now. It's just, he's just there to make his presence known. It's a way for, it's a lazy way for them to get to a commercial. Uh, the worst part is they come back and there's nothing, no follow-up at all. Braun goes into the corner. I will say this about Keith Lee. It does seem like they have given him a lot more latitude now to be like this monster that does these super impressive feats of strength. Like he's destroying Braun and Sheamus. He threw Sheamus right into Braun and then powerbombed Riddle on top of Sheamus. Uh, then nails Braun with a big shoulder tackle. The heels get the heat on Riddle again until they all start arguing. Sheamus brogue kicks his partner, Braun, and sends him to the floor. And then Riddle rolls him up, pinning Sheamus in 12-23. Dopey pins Fireface. Yeah, yeah. So two wins on this Raw for Matt, uh, Riddle. I'm sorry. I was about to call him Matt. Uh, so they're definitely giving him the spotlight on the show. Um, mm-hmm. Beyond that. Okay, match. You know, pretty good physicality from Sheamus and Lee. Yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say at the level of that uh, the three way they had last week. Um, but nonetheless, it was a. Uh, it, it was all right. Yeah. Backstage we go with Alexa Bliss uh, with flowers. Nikki Cross wants to talk. Alexa says she's been having so much fun in the Firefly Funhouse, uh, but one day her and Nikki will have a play date. Nikki is not playing. She understands this is all her fault. She's here now. The Fiend is pure evil. And it's time for you to make a choice and walk away. Which, to be fair, Nikki's not really giving her a choice. And Alexa says, okay, I choose him. And threw the petals into Nikki's face. All right. Yep. So that I guess that was your moment of bliss. Uh, I guess so, yeah. Nikki played a very convincing Drew McIntyre. Yes, we did get Alexa interviewing someone of Scottish descent. No. Yes. So we almost got there. <laughs> Charlie announces next week the New Day will defend the Raw tag titles against Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander. MVP and Lashley come out to the ring and they're stating it will not be the New Day and Street Profits at the Survivor Series because the titles are coming to the Hurt Business next week. And Lashley notes that he didn't hear Sami Zayn talking on SmackDown this past week and running his mouth. He's confronted by Titus O'Neil, who is not happy at the response he received when he wanted to join the Hurt Business. MVP tells Titus that he respects him for his charitable work, and therefore, he's going to allow Titus to walk away. But Titus refuses and asks, what kind of champion are you if you never defend your title? Lashley responds saying, unlike MVP, I have no respect for you. I'm going to enjoy this. 
So a title match is made right on the spot, and MVP reminds Titus that the match is taking place inside the ring, not underneath it. (laughs) Poor guy. Clumsy Titus, unfortunate. (laughs) Yes, the moment that will live with him. If this poor guy ever goes into the Hall of Fame, you know what his whole spiel is going to be. The whole segment of his Hall of Fame is going to be based around that spot. You really think Titus O'Neil can go into the Hall of Fame? I absolutely do. I absolutely do. Okay. Anyway, um, you know, I thought this was the first time in years we've heard Titus, like, fired up like this in a promo. You know, he felt like he had something to prove here. Well, he was fired up for 64 seconds uh, where he attacked with punches. Lashley speared him, put on the hurt lock. Titus struggled. Titus tapped. And that uh, ended it. Lashley's first title defense since September, they said. Whoa, is that right? Wow. Um, yeah, just a really a squash match for Lashley, but I thought Titus like did a pretty good job making himself feel a bit more special than your usual jobber. Fine promo. And this didn't need to be any longer. Just a good win for Bobby Lashley to kill a guy. Drew McIntyre's backstage with uh, his two week best friend, Seamus. And he says that their team is in shambles. They really need Drew on the team and suggests Drew suggests, well, maybe you shouldn't broke kick your partner. Seamus says, I despise all my teammates and says almost as much as you despise the New Day. And Drew starts clapping to New Day rocks. Seamus wishes they could just team like the old days. And they remember their old slogan, kicking heads and drinking kegs. (laughs) Drew says that when I win the title, you and I are going to go out and get fucked. That's how the segment ended. So here we have uh, Drew and Sheamus. I will give you this. I think everyone is expecting that Sheamus is going to kick this guy's head off at some point. But I will at least appreciate it if they give us like four weeks of them being friends before they do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. Uh, Which, I mean, these two legitimately have a history together. They've just never played on it up until last week. Yeah, and I highly doubt that their actual catchphrase was kicking head and drinking kegs wasn't that our uh, catchphrase together yeah kicking heads and drinking kegs yes yeah but you know i i think this like story between these two to me has been the only story of any substance on this entire episode of raw um it at least feels fresh you know the concept and the idea that a heel and babyface who um used to be friends don't necessarily see themselves as heels and babyfaces i mean they are just friends because of their shared history um and we all know that they're going to clash at a later date. But I think for now, it's really fun to watch these two convey this these like years of history between them into this uh, fr- friendship with these scenes. I think they're really doing a good job of acting like, you know, former best friends. So the question is, will Sheamus cost him the title match next week? Is that how fast we're going to speed oh, this man. one up? Well, I hope not. I mean, they you, you need an out for that match. This is the only thing they've teased. Yeah, but it's just the friendship is not even set that strong yet. You know, they should actually team up together. But, I mean... I, let, let this I go at least at least go a few weeks. That's all I ask. I'm not expecting anything crazy, like, God forbid, three months of this. But, yeah. Yeah. They, clearly, the two, like, I like the chemistry between them in these segments. Mm-hmm. Like, it doesn't come across forced. Yeah. Naya's interviewed in the back. Uh, her and Shayna argue over who runs things. Naya says she's the team leader. Shayna says, who cares who the team leader is? 
And Nia says, after our team wins at Survivor Series, maybe she'll go for the women's title. All of these, like, Nia Jackson, Shayna promo segments have been either totally forgettable or just, like, plain bad. And I mean all of them since they started teaming together. Um, and I don't know if it's just the bad writing. I think, it, it, I think you know, you talk about chemistry. I think these two have bad chemistry together or, or just none. Um, and I just think, like, delivery is has just been completely lazy. Like, very... Bleh, you know, like Naya, I, I think I've seen her cut good promos, but like all of these just feel like she's putting very little effort into trying to make them sound, yeah, you know, somewhat special. Um, these just do nothing for me at all. So Oscar took on Naya Jack's non-title match. Uh, the women's team is ringside. Asuka goes for a guillotine, and it's uh, suplexed out. She hits her with spinning back fists, a hip attack, goes for the arm bar. Lana gets on the apron. Baszler gets up and puts her in the Kirafuda clutch, and Asuka knocks both of them off with a hip attack. And then Jax goes for a Samoan drop. It's countered. Asuka gets the Asuka lock. Shayna runs in to attack her for the DQ at 7.48. Team Raw gets involved. Rose and Brooke get sent to the floor, and then Nia and Shayna are left to stare down Lana in the corner and proceed to clear the desk, and Nia puts her through the desk for the eighth time. Yeah, as they tell Lana to just quit. So, um, I don't know, man. Um, yeah, it's it's the big babyface build for the Survivor Series thing. Uh, the Asuka match, you know, I thought, I thought they, I thought... Asuka did a pretty good job delivering like a quick paced match with Naya, but it's really hard to care about this knowing the outcome wouldn't matter, knowing that there probably would be other things going on for the story at the end of it all, which, which it did. Sarah Schreiber interviewed R-Truth. He thinks he's about to have a seven camera shoot for GQ magazine, but in fact, he's going to have a seven way match for the 24 seven title. Angel Garza has been locked in a room for a week with flowers. He says he wears his heart on his sleeve, but will do anything to win. He's fighting for every woman in the world. All the other men are worthless, and they don't deserve a woman like you. Which, I mean, he is talking to, I would say, 65% male audience that we usually get in the split. And he gives the rose to all of you. So he's talking to one person, but he says he's giving this rose to all of you. So I don't know if he's talking to one person or everybody, but he only had one rose here. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, Don't really care. You know, this character is just, it's, it's just, we've been through it already. Like we've been through a whole several months of him trying to do this character. Um, The second time I see this as to him doing it the second time around, there's no really added wrinkle. Except, is it is he a bad, like, ladies' man now? Is that the gimmick? Nobody likes well, I'll him? I'll tell you what. Like, the next woman that approaches him is going to be like, listen, I might go out with you, but I don't want to disappear like that demigirl. Like, what happened to her? What did you do to her? Yeah. I think in 2020, I just need a, something a bit more interesting than the ladies' man. You know? Like, how many lazy, ladies' men have we seen throughout, the like, wrestling's history? What is different about this guy? 
Like, give me a modern spin on it, please. Like, you know, uh, maybe maybe he can get mentored by Tim Meadows. Yeah, I don't. I don't think that would really be. He could be Tim. He could be Tim Meadows who can wrestle. Tim Meadows can learn how to wrestle as a ladies' man. I don't think in twenty twenty that gimmick would be interesting at all. Well, speaking of not interesting, our truth. Akira Tozawa, Grand Metalik, Lince Dorado, Drew Gulak, Eric, and Tucker for the 24-7 title. Dude, there's no one I feel worse for on this roster than Tucker right now. This poor guy. I feel pretty bad for Eric, too. Eric's in an unfortunate spot where, I mean, it's either we don't use you or we use you in a nothing role with your partner out. So, unfortunately, this is what they about Hey, what about Riddick Moss? Uh, What about all those, like underground guys where the the unfortunate loss of daba kato was he not drafted was he not part of the draft yeah he was where the hell's daba kato been well you're waiting you're you got to wait for it i've been waiting it's been almost a month wouldn't you want him on your on your team i couldn't for the life of me tell you what brandy's on i assume it's raw i think it's raw i think it was because i think he was on the raw underground uh side but, Maybe he's quarantining. Um, okay. Someone needs to inform him. Uh, the time's up. Um, so, like, did everyone win the title here? I think yeah. so. Yeah. Truth shoved Dorado at the end. He hit the AA. He ran away. There were 5,000 title matches. I refuse to break this down. It got so ridiculous by the end here. Like, everybody had a chance with the belt that I actually found it pretty amusing. You know, with this gimmick, in order to... I just I just ask for something new each time they go out there. And I know that's going to be difficult, but, I mean, you kind of ask for it when you're, you know, making a title like this. So in order for them to do, to do something new, you can either tone down the ridiculousness a bit to make this thing more real, realistic, or you can totally lean into the ridiculousness. And I felt like they did that here. Um this was at least memorable because everybody in this match had the, had won the belt. Congratulations to all our winners. Mustafa Ali versus Ricochet. Ali, Ali, the match starts. He asks Ricochet to join him and Ricochet attacks. What's going on with you, huh? This isn't you. You think this is the right way? You think this is the message? If a guy was ever beating me down asking me these questions, it would really force me to absorb the question and give a sincere answer. You never heard like a conversation like this in a UFC fight? Oh, dude. I I thought this this dialogue was verbatim from a World Star video because if you've seen some of those fights, like this is the kind of stuff that you get yelled at in the street as a guy's like coming at you. What's going on with you, huh? This is not you. You think this is the right way? You think this is the message? Ricochet hit a huge back body drop. And then on the edge of the apron, hits a tilt-a-whirl head scissors that sends Ali to the floor. Retribution surrounds Ricochet. And then he walks into a neckbreaker by Ali. And we cut to break mid-neckbreaker. That was an all-timer. They come back. Ali screams, you need us! As Ricochet hits a dragon suplex for a reprieve. Then there's a spinning DDT get, that gets blocked by Ricochet, turns it into a brain buster. Uh, the match got really good at this point. Ali hit a backstabber off the turnbuckle, and then he goes back to the trash talk. You think one man can change the world? 
It takes many. Nothing can change unless you're willing. I'm trying to help you. Ricochet hits a poison Rana, springboard Tornillo to retribution on the floor, misses a Phoenix Splash, and Ali applies the Koji Clutch as Ricochet goes out at 13 minutes and 58 seconds. This was the best match on Raw by a mile as these two attempt to overcome uh, a hell of a plight uh, regarding their status on Raw. Yeah, yeah, a good match by the end. And uh, finally, a big one for Ali. You know, I, I think in hindsight, this really should have been Retribution's first program. I don't know why they did what they did with the Hurt Business. Um, This was essentially like a match you would have probably seen with these two on 205 Live, but now on Raw with, I, I suppose, well, more well-known personas in the middle of the card. Orton is with Adam Pierce, and Adam tells him, you might like this news. You're defending the title next week against Drew McIntyre. Orton's like, what the hell? He puts Pierce up against the wall, and he tells Pierce to tell the staff to go to hell. So big show next week. Randy Orton and Drew McIntyre for the title, and then New Day against Benjamin and Alexander. Two title matches. Yeah, it seems like they're really trying to, you know. We, we assume. We assume we get these matches next week. It's a big match to like announce and not deliver. So I, I think mean, I think we'll get these two. I yeah, can't I tell you that you'll get a good finish coming out of them. That's for sure. But you'll get the match. Main event was our six man tag: Randy Orton, The Miz, and Morrison against Drew McIntyre and the New Day. Uh, Orton refuses to tag in. He makes Miz and Morrison do all the work. New Day chant one two three. We miss E as they dove to the floor, and for whatever reason, I just. Imagine Carl Winslow chanting this. What Why? the heck is bothering me? Oh. You never saw that episode of Family no. Matters, did you? No. Classic. Sorry. Orton refuses to enter. Xavier gets knocked to the floor as Orton just circles around but doesn't make contact. Woods gets beaten down forever until the hot tag is made to Drew, whose comeback <laughs> includes a double belly-to-belly -belly suplex, which literally is not belly-to-belly, -belly, but you get the gist. It's a double suplex to Morrison and Miz. He hits the future shock on Morrison, then dumps John Morrison's lifeless body and tells Mr. Minor League to tag in the Major League player, Orton, and says to Randy, don't be a bitch. And Randy leans over. He's going for the tag, but he won't do it. Morrison then it is able to get a roll-up using the rope. It's a direct Jay White influence here by John Morrison. But Xavier Woods watched power struggle, and he would not let the power be struggled here. Morrison hits a corkscrew to the floor. Miz is hit with a spine buster. Morrison comes off the ropes into the Glasgow kiss. And the Claymore, with the countdown... And Drew pins Morrison at 13 minutes and 12 seconds. We hadn't seen the countdown in a while. Brought it back. It's a special occasion. It's uh, yeah. it's back here. We got we got one two three. We miss E and three two one into the Claymore. So look mm. at that. There you go. Awesome. Yep. Um. You know, a setup for Orton versus Drew next week. An okay match. Otherwise, uh, it's hard for me to think that this segment might have done very well in the ratings. Well, we saw last week, that third hour nosedived, uh, and that was built around the handicap match with Drew against Miz and Morrison. Um, I don't know. Th this was a Raw that I'm just not compelled with the stories going on during Raw. 
Yeah, there's very little that excites me about the roster right now. I mean, every feud on the show feels really, really like bland. You know, you have a lot of the same partners who can't get along storylines just dominating everything here with both Survivor Series teams. Um, Miz holding the briefcase is better than Otis, but it's the Miz, so it's not going to be that exciting, especially when he is being paired with the champion in Randy Orton, where you don't really have somebody to cheer for that's fresh or that's even a baby face. Tag division, kind of dead. 24-7 division is a joke. Retribution is still trying to battle out from the hole that they've buried them in themselves in. And you have a world title program in Fiend, Drew, and Orton at the top right now. Uh, that no, no Fiend on the show. Like, beyond Alexa's mention, like, no presence from him at all. Well, I mean, he's not really a part of Survivor Series, is he? So he, he might be taking a bit of a backseat, I suppose, in a couple weeks. But um, Drew and Orton, I, I, it feels like they're, that's still brewing, even though they're going to do the match next week. I imagine it'll still continue beyond that into this three-way scenario with The Fiend. I don't know if they've... <laughs> Drew and Orton itself is already like pretty stale at this point. And throwing The Fiend in there, I don't think will really freshen things up. It might freshen it up, but it's just not... I, I'm not convinced that it's the right direction for any of these characters. So I just don't think Raw right now is a very good show because clearly like SmackDown has taken all the good stuff. Yeah, and I don't think you can just lean on, well, it's tough when you're building up Survivor Series. It's like we're we're looking at the other show on Friday that to me, it's got a lot of interesting things happening and they have the same handicap that we're building up to a pay-per-view and we only have our side of the roster for matches that we can't you know, do any physicality for it's two different shows to me that we're getting on Monday and Friday. And I just, I'm, I'm not finding any of these programs all that compelling. I, I, I just oh, the think promos that have been terrible. Like on the show, really bad at a, at a time yeah. that, you know, the promos have been, you know, again, we're just seeing quite the contrast between raw and SmackDown. And this should be a time where we just are coming off a draft where you've, you've, mixed up the rosters you should have some you know some freshness to the show i I don't feel anything fresh on raw no no i mean they all feel saddled in as like no one feels fresh and new that you've started all these new programs it just seems that everyone's found their place very quickly well let's let's see who they're pushing right now okay who are the top baby pieces on the show it's um mcintyre riddle riddle is getting a push lana is the baby face that they're pushing on the women's division i i they could prove me wrong, but man, it's it's going to be difficult. Uh, who else here? Alexa and and the Fiend, I suppose. Um, if you're looking at just sheer television time, like there's a lot being dedicated to Miz and Morrison. I mean, that's kind of feels like your top heel act with Randy. Um, the Hurt Business, although they don't really have, I guess they've got the New Day program, but Lashley doesn't have anyone. They are removed from Retribution. Oscar um, has nobody. Right now, Oscar's got nobody. Um, I think she's lost a bit now, not having number one Kyrie Sane with her, as well as Bailey and Banks to feud with. It's sort of she's kind of, you know, just without a program, and it's the program is she, with Banks, but she can't cut like she can't do anything on Raw without her. Yeah, being. and that's you know that's a one night thing. Uh, yeah. After this, you have to you have to go in some direction with her with her with an opponent on Raw, which I guess you can put Nia or Shayna into that role, but you know, for it's, it's not, it's not blowing me away. Very weak right now uh, on raw, um, at least a couple weeks into this draft. 
So. I'll, I'll say I'll say I I do like AJ and and this role that that he's playing. I think that's he does need yeah. a dance partner. I I do like what they've been doing with him. Yes, and I I continue to like the fact that Jordan is just a presence that that's just no name. There. He yeah. doesn't even have a name yet. He's just the big associate. <laughs> they don't even like talk about him. He's just there, like standing behind AJ at all times. So that's a bright spot. But I mean, that's like one small thing in 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 a, in a three hour show that, oh man, by the end of it doesn't really leave me a whole lot um to want to come back to see. So let's see. Isn't that a match you want to see though? At some point, what Jordan and who? AJ. Oh, for sure, of course. But that's not for months, if not years. Oh, January, <laughs> February. Right. Uh, let's see what you guys thought in the forums. Out of 10, John. Any guesses? Oh, God. I'm going to say three tonight. 4.75. There you go. We have, you know, our uh, our forum, they're, they're, they seem to be more more energetic about some of these shows than, than you and I were. Uh, tonight, we start off with MJ. Uh, only caught the last hour of Raw. Didn't think, okay... Between Ricochet and Ali, didn't think either one of them are going anywhere, and that makes it pointless, but they did have a very nice match. I wish I could catch these two in the upcoming Best of Super Junior Tournament. 24-7 was trash, and the main event was notable only for the countdown to Drew's kick. If you were counseling WWE on a live event strategy post-pandemic, would you advise them to bring Raw and SmackDown on the road again like before, or would you lean into using the piped-in sound to keep TV moving in the right direction and only do pay-per-views in front of live crowds. I feel like there needs to be a real hook for live attendance and week after week TV tapings doesn't seem to be it, at least in my opinion. Um, I, I would not be looking at the Thunderdome as my um, my permanent solution to any of this. I, I would not want that. This is not ideal. It's better than the empty performance center, but this is hardly ideal. Now, if you're talking about live event strategy as it relates to house shows, that to me is a discussion worth having about, you know, what what is the logic right now? And there's pros and cons to it. Like I, I talked about this in the in the interview with uh, Brandon Thurston, that while if you're looking just at profits and losses, it becomes an easier decision to make with live events falling by the wayside. However, like we throw like a Dominic Mysterio, it would greatly help him if there were four shows per week and he was getting ring time and there's definitely an argument for live events, but I I don't see them racing back to live events. I think what we're going to see is this is going to be a television-first company, and when we see special live events, they're probably going to be major markets uh, around key points of the year, like your post-Christmas live events, and could double as network content. I think like the days of guys going on the road from Friday to Monday – I, I don't know if we're going to see that anytime soon. I would be surprised if they revert back to that without really discussing it. Like, I, I can't see a full schedule like that. Even if we go back to house shows, I think it'd be a reduced uh, number of dates. It's hard for me to see a good reason to bring back house shows um, beyond the argument of, of giving your roster experience. Um, I think, it, you know, with the finances the way they are, they would clearly have to pay for the roster that, to have that experience. These shows were already not making money. And if we're talking about limited crowds, which we'll probably continue to see for uh, well into, you know, at least the start of this, like, uh, rebuilding phase, whenever the pandemic is actually over, I I, I just don't see them, you know, going all in with with uh, house shows with that same model. 
Um, how, how about like getting back to the Florida loop for NXT? Do you think that like, I think that will, they will go back to that. I guess the question is how quickly do they go back to that? Because you, you have a whole roster of NXT talent that have largely just been, you know, they've been working out and being at the PC, but you're not doing any like real shows in front of people. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I could see that a bit more. I mean, I see them maybe you know dipping their toes in. It's similar to like what AEW's been doing, partial crowds. I mean, similar to what they've been doing with yep. welcoming partial crowds in. And um, you know, but ultimately, I think they're going to rely on this like, what is it, Thunderdome type of like virtual reality with uh Zoom crowd type of setup, at least for their TV shows for quite some time. We go to Anthony, who has a question, who says, at the end of be- being the Elite, do you really see Hangman joining the Dark Order or turning heel on the Elite? As well, where is Brody Lee? I haven't seen him since his TNT title loss. Uh, I don't see him joining the Dark Order, but I think they're going to tease that direction. Like, it, it does seem that ultimately, you know, you do have to answer this, like, who sent the text to Hangman? And I think now it's almost the tease that everyone's getting together with that, with hangman on the outside looking in. And I see it ending up the opposite that it's Omega on the outside and page aligns with the bucks. Could be. Yeah. Where is uh Brody Lee? I don't know what's up with Brody Lee. You're right. Uh, he hasn't been on. Um, I don't know if it's a case that, I mean, it, it could be right down to, they just, you know, this, this pay-per-view cycle, he wasn't figured in, but um, yeah, he, has not been there since since losing the title, which I think it builds to something like you've had in his absence, like John Silver has almost like taken the reins for when Brody Lee does come back, that Silver uh, is kind of in this position where, you know, he's the centerpiece of these segments. That's right. Yeah. Um, I'm sure they'll have a reason. And Paul from New Jersey. Another week, another table. Credit where credit is due, Randy Orton cut a great promo on Miz and Johnny Janetti. I badly want to see Titus O'Neil capture the title and go on to the Survivor Series. O'Neil did a good job in that segment. Uh, for Tucker, not only are you going to turn him heel on pay-per-view, but he, you are going to taste championship gold. Let's all congratulate two-time 24-7 champion Tucker. Still like the show, 6.5 out of 10. Rest in peace to Canadian legend Alex Trebek, who passed away over the weekend at the age of 80. Yeah, um, I didn't even realize this, but like he and Sean Connery, who of course were like a famous tandem in those SNL sketches, mm-hmm. they passed away like within a week, pretty much. I di- I didn't even put that together. Yeah. Man, when I th- like Sean Connery, what I think of first and foremost is all the Bond films because I watched every single one of those with him. Uh, but then it's the it's the the Celebrity Jeopardy segments uh, mm-hmm. that were just fantastic. Uh, yeah, uh, didn't even put that all together. You know, Alex Trebek, uh, not only like deserves all the the accolades and praise, but think of how many Jeopardy jokes that guy has had to endure in his life. What people, do you mean? Oh, dude, with people of coming up to him and they've got the answer, but ask it in the form of a question. Hmm. Think of all the like <laughs> tongue in cheek jokes that that guy's had to just bite his tongue through through all these celebrity interactions like the man's known for jeopardy like just think about every single uh, joke that that man has probably just put on put on a brave face for i'm i'm sure yeah i'm sure he 
you know, I feel like he would have like taken it all pretty well though. He seems to be the type who like would have been able to either appreciate it or at least like mm-hmm. not react, you know, in any sort of aggressive, angry way. He certainly embraced like the you know the the, the fame of of that aspect, but always just seemed yeah. to be you know like a the the consummate Canadian celebrity that has that tinge of like I'm almost like embarrassed by the fame that I've acquired. It's hard for me to think of Alex Trebek losing his cool for any reason. You know? Like, he does not get upset. He's never gotten upset on, on the show, as far as I can tell. Uh, yeah, you have ne- you never saw any of those stories come out that he was any kind of a difficult person to deal with. Just seemed like a, you know, a laid-back individual. I couldn't believe he was 80. Yeah. 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 Unfortunately, it was... Uh, battling cancer for for a while but rest in peace to alex trebek and that will bring an end to rewind a raw uh, what'd you think of tonight's show our show um you know i'm sorry I, I wish my my excitement level for this edition of raw was higher i i don't think it was one of my finer performances but um, what are you talking about i just man this raw just i had very little to say um it was just a i thought it was just a shitty raw without that much for me to like not that much thought to, that came to mind so i don't know how how great this discussion was it, it it actually was kind of a draining edition of raw well way you're never a drain uh people can't get enough of you they always have a um a thirst for more way okay well you can get that tomorrow john when you and i will be talking about uh certainly two episodes of a monday night wrestling program with i think a lot more going on and that is of course the january 4th 2010 editions of Impact Wrestling. Yes, a Monday Night Impact Wrestling episode, as well as Raw from that day with the return of Brett the Hitman Hart. Yes. If tonight's episode of Raw would be compared to um, uh, eating oatmeal for three hours, this three-hour edition of Impact is PCP. Wow. Those would certainly be opposites. Yeah. That's what impact is. It's three hours of insanity, (laughs) and we have no shortage of subjects to discuss coming out of that episode of impact. It is total nonstop. Not quite total nonstop action, but it is total nonstop. So that is coming up on Tuesday night. We'll review the whole episode of Impact, and then we'll go through the Bret Hart segments from that same night on Raw as he returns to the WWE to confront Shawn Michaels and Vince McMahon. Goodbye. <laughs>